0: Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. I'm very happy to be joined by Sophie from the Hybrid Squad. How are you?
1: You good? You well? I'm pretty fine this Sunday. What a glorious Sunday this is, Tom.
0: Mm, Yes, it's it's nice, isn't it? Other than the blistering heat. Uh, Other than that, it's all good. Um, But what is nice is that we've got Arsenal heating our weekend quite nicely. And we're going to talk about that and plenty more as well first things first as people know they've been listening to the show for the last couple of days or so um we for the next four weeks are partnering with football prizes and the gabriel jesus shirt sold out within what three four days i think it was so they've thrown up another prize for you guys to get into uh, and this one is a signed martin udegaard shirt uh, it runs out on tuesday you can get your tickets from £2.95 each Got a great chance of winning as well because only 99 tickets available and then of course on wednesday's show we'll bring you what the next prize will be but you can get all the details on the website of which you can find the link for in today's video description so make sure you go and check that one out sophie 4-2 leicester how good was that
1: just i was talking to my cousin this morning and i said i can't remember the last time i enjoyed watching a football game that much i think maybe it was the first half of spurs at home last season where Mm. you just get totally sucked in along for the ride You're not watching the game, um, making notes to, you know, kind of reference in a show afterwards. I just sat there in that first half and second half and really just focused on being a fan and watching the game and not because I had planned to not kind of take notes along the way, but Mm. the team took me in that direction. Uh, Some champagne football, some style we hadn't seen in a really long time. Of course, there are things that we need to work on, but uh, I promised myself that after yesterday, I'm going to focus a lot more on the positives than nitpick at some of, you know, the negatives. Um, I, 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 I don't know about you if you felt the same way, but I just loved watching that game.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the Man City home game on new year's day is, the first half of that game Mm, was probably the best. You know, I I loved that first half of the intensity of Arsenal and just kind of like going toe to toe with genuinely looking like Arsenal could compete with Man City in that game in the first half until it all just went to shit, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it was frustrating. But yeah, this game was just, again, kind of a follow-on from the Palace game, which as we all discussed and we all did our shows and stuff after the Palace game and whilst it was a great result and of course winning at Palace is no mean feat, there was kind of a tinge of A little bit like that, but the performance in the second half, especially against Palace, left us with some concern about Mm -hmm. whether or not we're just kind of riding a wave of, of positivity or actually if there is something to kind of get hold of. But I think the performance against Leicester certainly goes to show that there is really something to galvanize behind this Arsenal team. The there was obviously concerns within the game, and we'll come on to that. But starting off with Gabriel Jesus, I mean, this this kid is just different level, isn't he? He's just brought something. When I mean, we did the preview show with with you and and all the guys looking ahead to mm-hmm. the season and with our predictions, and I think I put down Jesus as my signing of of the season for all the Premier League sides. You know, I I don't see how that can be proved wrong so far. You know, it's he's been unreal.
1: Yeah. And I don't I can't remember if you and I both did, um, but I picked him to be the golden boot winner. Mm. And, you know, you and I have talked about uh, Gabriel Jesus before uh, in terms of what we felt like we needed up front um, for the Arsenal. What I love about him is that he's 25 years old and he seems to be and have the football brain of a 30 year old. Mm -hmm. And that comes with what he's experienced and learned at Manchester City. Number one, working with Pep, one of the best ever. Number two, the players that he's been surrounded by, the the fact that mediocrity is unacceptable, the fact that you have to learn to be a team player, wait for your chance, be patient. And now he's moved into a different direction in his career where he's going to be the main man, which he was ready for. And he was, you know, it's almost like the City years were his apprentice years. So we've inherited a player that even though he's only 25 years old, he comes with an abundance of experience, confidence, and already has infused his energy into this side on the pitch. And I'm pretty sure, you know, in the dressing room as well, the same thing Mm -hmm. with Zinchenko, who I'm sure you'll touch on later. The fact that they're 25 years old, Tom, but they, they have this maturity about them is incredible. And what I like about our young players like Jesus is they're good boys, You don't see them going out, partying and getting in trouble, you know, night out in the town, distracted by the bright lights. He's Mm. football through and through. And the relationship with Martinelli is just a beautiful thing to watch. But goodness, that first goal, what a touch. How long has it been since we've had a player up front who can do that? Aubameyang in his first season when he won, he Mm. won the golden boot year. Of course, he was absolute class. And we've been missing that since. But he reminds me a little bit of, the cheekiness of how he plays sometimes reminds me of righty a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I just think, you know, technically he's brilliant and I'm so excited to see how he's going to evolve uh, at our club.
0: Yeah, the goal that's been doing the rounds on socials in comparison with the first one against uh, Leicester was the Alexis goal against Ludo Goretz, where he kind of yeah, dinks yeah. it in the same way. And uh, there's a lot of parallels with the Alexis signing and the Jesus signing, of course, both. Formerly scored by Pep Guardiola, um, coming from kind of a a very big European side, a signing that was kind of a statement as well. You know, South American, of course, too. There's a lot of parallels to be drawn. Of course, Alexis was more of a wide player as opposed to Jesus being an out-and-out striker. But both of them came into a team where we really needed something in their position. Mm -hmm. On the left, we certainly need to add quality where we didn't have it before with Alexis. And now through the middle, we've certainly got a player that's going to take us that next step with with Jesus. Um, Now, this show is... all about alexis real quick because
1: of course yeah i see those comparisons but because of the manner in which alexis left the club Mm. i just want to compare him to players maybe the
0: genuine legend
1: genuinely (laughs) defined some Mm. of our history and and it's not a slight on alexis because i loved him and he's one of the most exciting players we've ever had and i just think he could have been that and he chose not to be so, yeah. yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from with the the cheekiness of the
0: email. Absolutely, yeah. There always will be something missing from the Alexis career at Arsenal, yeah. and, and it is just how he left the club. And, you know, you hear this interview where he did after he left United where he talks about kind of how he wants to come back to Arsenal after the first training session with United. But uh, <laughs> you, unfortunately, you made your mistake. You know, you, you dug your grave and you, you lay down in it, and Man United certainly are there. But we might come on to that later. Um, in regards to kind of the show, it's all kind of around measuring what our expectations are and mm. what we feel this team can kind of achieve and you know to do that we can't just talk about the positives we have to talk about the limitations and I think there were worse limitations shown in yesterday's game Ramsdale is I think the player that's coming for the most criticism of all of our players I gave him the lowest score of any player on this I think I gave him a six out of ten and he some did. people said that was generous um But yeah, I gave him a six. I think people quickly forgot some of the saves he made in the first kind of phase of the game in the first 30 minutes. And and they were important, especially from the Fafana chance. Uh, There was a really good kind of push of a cross from the right-hand side to the left uh, that he did really well to deal with. But the goal, some of the distribution, um, the uncertainty with the Vardy situation. Are you worried about Ramsdale and and how he might fare this season with us? Or do you think he's kind of just, this is what we have to expect of Ramsdale. This is who he is.
1: I think this is a great question and it's a concern since last season, I believe. I think Ramsdale came into the team with a chip on his shoulder and rightly so because a lot of people questioned uh, what we paid for him and, Mm. you know, the whole relegation, relegation, you know, narrative, which I just don't buy at all. He transformed um, the confidence at the back with his tenacity And he gave the back line a level of confidence that we hadn't seen before in our keepers, even a legendary one like Czech. So what happened was I think his confidence evolved into cockiness Hmm. and he needs to just crank it down a notch or two. He's still a good keeper. He's still the guy that made the super save against Leicester. He's still the guy that made the super save against Spurs in the second half. He's still the guy that saved us on many occasions last season. But that confidence has gone into cockiness. Now, Kev always says, you know, goalkeepers are crazy. You want them to be crazy, 100%. But you don't want them to get too cocky. And I think that's what's happened to him. He's believed his own hype maybe just a little bit. Still love him. Still think he's the guy. But he's definitely the weak link right now. And the thing that concerns me the most, Tom, is that it's not just the first two games. It's been seeping in since the end of last season, And that is a concern,
0: just picking up on something you said there. um mm-hmm. you said, like you still love him, you still write him, still love the guy. Do you feel like you have to say that sometimes when you're being critical of a player? Because whenever you raise a criticism, and I speak for anyone who's done, like, you know, content creation talks publicly about Arsenal. I feel as though whenever I criticise something about Arsenal, even though I feel like I'm one of the most optimistic creators out there, I have to caveat it by saying, no, I still, I still like them. I still want them here. Do you feel like there's a bit taboo about criticising?
1: Sometime. I did a piece on this last season where I, I criticized Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe in a game and a lot of people came at me and I said, it doesn't mm. mean I don't think they're great talent. It doesn't mean I don't think Saka's going to have an incredible career and Emil Smith-Rowe can be who he wants to be if he can stay injury-free. Same thing with Arteta. You know, I criticized him, but if I, if I praise him, I'm a flip-flopper. Mm. I don't know what yeah. to say and how to say it, but I'll say it in what I believe in and I do believe that Ramsdale has those attributes and qualities. However, if he doesn't pick it up, Arteta is going to be ruthless and he will not be afraid to make changes. And I respect Arteta for that. So... Yeah, I get where you're coming
0: from on that sure. Yeah, I mean, just reading the chat box. I mean, Gavin said he's only young, calm down. Um, and there was a comment from Johnny who says that at his age you would hope he learns and improves, you know. And it's like, you know, it's not about telling cool. us to calm down. We we can be critical. Like you can't assess someone's game for the positives and the negatives of it and mm-hmm. still think the world of the player. And I do, and I, you know, I'm not considering dropping Ramsdale at all. But it's strange that I, and clearly yourself as well, so if you feel like that we need to caveat every criticism we make with a we still like this guy, you know, we still want him to be the number one. It's, yeah, it's a strange one. Let's let's talk about the capacity of this team because, you know, we, this season, the first team have added three clear players. Saliba's come in, Zinchenko's come in and Jesus has come in. We potentially still could add one or two more before the window shuts. And what I'm most excited about is the fact that we're doing all this and our 34 million pound creative attacking talent, Fabio Vieira, has still not played for Arsenal. That's mm. exciting. So I don't really want to put kind of labels on things, and you know, as Praktika says, is it not is it not enough as fans to expect the team to deliver good, exciting football? Do we have to set targets? Can't we just chill and support the team and hope they deliver good moments on the pitch? And I absolutely empathise with what you're saying, Practica. But I think what's great is to have a discussion about what is capable and what we could expect from
1: this team in an exciting way. I totally agree. Now, I think process. Has to lead to progress at some mm. point, right? The team has Get a to evolve. with that on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go in on the merchandise yeah. together. Um, by the way, I'm going to buy one of those tickets uh, because if you don't appreciate Martin, Martin Odegaard, Odegaard, I don't know. Oh. I don't know what to say to you. Um, so yeah, it has to lead to progress. Now, every team that that has success takes a step, a step up, step up. The goal this season is to build on last season and be even more competitive in the Premier League that then has to lead to winning things and winning meaningful things, right? And I'm not saying the FA Cup isn't meaningful. Of course it is. I mean, with the, the 14 FA Cups, you know, the League Cup, I would love to win that. I haven't won it since 1993. But I think we do have to start setting higher targets and having higher expectations. It, you know, we've invested a lot in this team. The manager's been given plenty of time. Uh, you know, it took Klopp, what, four years? to really kind of kick into gear with liverpool um mm. you know football is unforgiving time isn't a, is a valuable commodity but i i would love to see us win the europa league i i said something on the show the other day and people like you're crazy now i say that if we finish 8th and we win europa league i will be a happy fan oh. now will i be satisfied with our league progress no tom i would not because 8th indicates something negative. However, yeah. if it's 8th and every, te- every team is like a point apart, I'm not going to pick the team apart. But if we win another trophy we haven't won since the early 90s, since mm-hmm. Kev was playing, and yeah. we get into the Champions League to boot, I think that's success. We have to win. We have to breed a winning culture. That's the next phase for these players, to taste victory.
0: I was asked a really interesting question on one of our morning shows, um, and it was: Would I rather finish fourth and win the FA Cup, or finish fifth and win the Europa League? And you know, I get the argument you said there about winning a trophy we've not won in a very long time. I'd like to see us finish fourth because I think it's a representation of that next step and a league competitive sense from what we did before and what we've done previously. And, you know, we got Champions League through a 38 league game season and the FA Cup, you know, is is emotionally very attachable to Arsenal because of our history with the competition. I'd love to win the Europa League, don't get me wrong, but for me, I lean towards that fourth in the FA Cup because I want to see that measured progression in the league table. What would you kind of go for and where do you sit on it?
1: I totally understand that. and. I I get what you're saying. Mm. Um because I think if we were to finish and I said 8th is the example of, you know, where Arteta had finished in his first two seasons. Let's let's call it 5th in the Europa League for for to make it an easier debate or conversation. Mm. I would take the Europa League. I would I would take the 5th and winning a European trophy. That is a really big deal. Now maybe it's because I'm a generation xer and to mm. me, winning that trophy would still mean everything. The last time we won it, I actually got to touch it. And let me tell you something: there's, I'm not even a player, and and that whole experience was just unbelievable. To to do that, fourth is not a trophy. It's it gets you into. If we can still get into the Champions League through Europa League, then I would rather take that route. Mm. I'm I'm a huge advocate of like you know, finishing top. If you don't finish first, where you come next and you haven't won anything is important in modern day football. Maybe I'm a little bit old school, but I would take that European trophy over fourth and the FA Cup.
0: I love this scoring from Ace. Lucas it says, "Actually, yeah, second FA Cup in Europa League. Why not? I mean, that wasn't an option, Ace. But I love the, I love your positivity in the chat. That's great. <laughs> um, there's some interesting points uh, from Noel, who says, "I personally expect a title challenger, probably tongue in cheek uh, in that, but uh, you know, I love your high expectations." And Jazzy says, "Top three of the decent cup run in Europe." Will do me just fine. And FTL, Craig, thank you so much for the super chat. So, it's two of my favourites on the show today, TC and Sophie. Hope you're both doing well. And TC, that scarf is looking sexy. Actually, Craig sent me that scarf, so that's <laughs> that's why he's uh, he's being so kind about I'll that. Be. And of course, uh, just while we're halfway through today's show, as I mentioned at the start, you can get your hands on a signed Martin Odegaard shirt. Uh, link in the description for more details. But two ninety-five a ticket. Ninety-nine tickets are available. Although, just having a quick check on the website so I can tell you that how many have gone uh, already. This went up, I think, yesterday. Uh, 19 have already gone so far. So 20% of them have gone. Get there quick. Otherwise, you will miss out. More details on that in the shows to come, and that will run out on Tuesday evening. Um, in terms of kind of the standards question, this comes up a lot, especially when I'm talking to Dan Potts. You know, I'm having a chat with him tonight <laughs> over on LJTV. Um, the, the idea of standards, you know, us, uh, if, if we say, this season, you know, a good season is qualifying for the Champions League. And yet a counter-argument to that should be, no, you know, Arsenal should be targeting, you know, a league win. And I actually had a conversation with William Gallas on the Arsenal way, and he asked me, he was like, what are your expectations of Arsenal? And I said, you know, for me, it's progress. It has to be moving forwards. And he was just like, no, no, Arsenal should Mm -hmm. be winning Premier League titles. And I was like, look, Will, I didn't call him Will. <laughs> I was like, Willie, look, tell me. Look, you didn't call him Big Willie, did you? I didn't call him Big Willie because that's Saliba. <laughs> um, but, you know, in t- I was like, look, I hear where you're coming from. I get it. I understand. And I want to be winning titles. I want to be winning Champions Leagues. Don't get me wrong. But for me, the next step, realistically, is to get back into that Champions League. That's why that's my minimum expectation. It doesn't mean that my standards of Arsenal aren't for us to get to a place where we're winning titles. So where do you kind of see this, this argument?
1: For me, the Champions League argument last season was more so for um, recruitment. It's a it's a recruitment tool in terms of the type of players we sign and what we can offer. World class players, by the way, mm. Gabriel Jesus, I think we were lucky. By the way, we stole him from Manchester City for that price. People, oh, crikey! Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not not alone, not not only the signing of the summer potentially, but a steel deal of the summer. Um, so. Yeah, for me, I just, I feel like I lost my train of thought. What the hell was I saying? It's Sunday
0: morning. I'm talking about standards. and comments. Standards, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: So for me, it's about winning. Sports is about winning. Particip- participation trophies are for children. This is real sports. <laughs> and you're yeah. measured, at the end of your career, when you're sitting there, you know, Alan Shearer, I'm sure, would have wanted to win more, but at least he won some if Harry Kane sits at the end of his career and he's the top goal, goal scorer for England and Tottenham, what has he got in his trophy cabinet? Mm-hmm. You know, all of, I'm sure yeah. he would swap the champions league final just for one trophy to have lofted a or lifted mm-hmm. a trophy as, um, as a Tottenham player. So Kev will tell you, no, it's about winning. It's about silverware. And that's where we need now winning isn't a, isn't a right. It's a privilege. Um, But I think that's where Arsenal should be aiming, and I'm pretty sure Mikel Arteta is aiming for that as well. Edu is definitely aiming mm. for that. Oh,
0: well, that was always the big question as well about the ownership. You know, is that? And I know you've done a lot of work and and shows and and pieces and digging on on you know the ownership because it's it's an area I think of Arsenal that you care a lot about, and I think that. The question with the Arsenal ownership, especially Stan in particular, was that he didn't care, you know, didn't care about Arsenal. And to be honest, I don't necessarily think that he personally cares about Arsenal winning a Premier League title or a Champions League title. However, I do think that Josh kind of cares. Um, am I naive for thinking that?
1: No, because having followed um, the Rams here and the Colorado Avalanche and kept my eye on the Nuggets, I mean, Josh was stoked that their lacrosse team won the hmm. national championship Mm. this this season i think it's very really underestimated because of stan's absence right but josh is the one who's the passionate cronkey about sports in fact uh, stan's brother-in-law i don't know if you guys know just bought the denver broncos and i mean they're into sports but they're also stan and his brother-in-law and the walmart family are into real estate as well stan is one of the largest real estate owners in the united states Mm. And that area around where Bronco's Mile High is, and if you've been there, you will know, can definitely use some renovation. It's a great city. It's got amazing character. But they're going to make it better. He's going to do what he did here in L.A. And if you ever go to SoFi Stadium, it's incredible. And what they're doing around that area is amazing, you know. Um, So Josh is the one, though, that focuses more on the sports side of it, not not the land, realty, business side of it. Mm-hmm. And if you go and look at clips when the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, just go YouTube it. Even Stan was on the ice celebrating this one. It okay. was a big deal. So do you think
0: I'm do you think I'm wrong about Stan then? Because I I still like if I'm sitting here right now and someone just asked me, prayer, no do you think No, Stan I don't think you're wrong about
1: yeah. No, I don't think you're wrong about Stan. I do think you're right about Josh. Mm. And you know, uh we did a show where I kind of supported them a little bit to say you know, <laughs> And it was tough because when you do support the Cronkies at that time, it wasn't long after the the, the the protest. It's a difficult conversation. And a lot of people like, you know, Hoggy will come on and say they've been owners for so long. And I'm of the ilk that no, a man like that is not going to put full on money in until he owns everything. And that didn't happen until 2018. Mm. So there's that argument that Arsenal fans have as well, um, Tom, where they feel like they could have done this earlier and, As a businessman and a ruthless businessman that he is, he took a whole city livelihood away from them in St. Louis, Mm. you know, and brought it back to L.A. And that's ruthlessness. So he's a businessman at the end of the day. But Josh has the passion for sports. And I think that's a good thing for the Arsenal
0: yeah, I, I, every time Josh speaks, uh, I do find myself being drawn in, and you know, listening to what he says. He's a very good speaker, and I think that there's a danger with someone being a really good speaker, and you knowing they're a good speaker because you mm. kind of become ultra aware of, am I having the ball pulled over my eyes in in, in a weird way? But you know, it's whether we deliver, you know, on that point, uh, and that's going to be the difference is whether we yeah. deliver on the promises that are made. But
1: you could see in the show he had that after that terrible run at the beginning of last season, Tom. You could see when he sat down with Mikel, he was basically saying to him, I've got your back. You yeah, yeah. Getting, you're not getting fired. Mm. And Is that dangerous they, though?
0: Is that weirdly no, dangerous? No, because no? I've
1: seen them do it with Sean McVay. Mm. The the Rams, they could have sacked him after the Super Bowl loss. They could have sacked him after he failed on two occasions. They stuck with him because they believed in him and they believe in young managers. And, you know, they took him. They, he took him to the promised land and he won it on their turf, in their stadium, which was a massive deal. So they stuck with him. And when I saw Arteta at the Avalanche game, I'm like, he's not going there to be fired. They're going there to tell him that he's got a future and let's let's move this thing forward. Mm. So, uh, yeah, people who think if we fail this season, I don't think that means Arteta will lose his job. I think he'll be under an intense amount of pressure. You know, I'll, I'll be surprised if he did lose his job based mm. on their history and how they've handled the Rams organisation in particular.
0: Agreed. Um Final part of today's show. I think it would be an injustice of me, so if I didn't allow us to have a little chinwag about one of our favourite topics at the moment, uh, which is... Classic you know, I, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, look, it comes into this discussion as well. If we're talking about what this Arsenal team can achieve, obviously we need to take note of the teams around us and obviously what they're also capable of achieving and the context that Arsenal find themselves in. And Manchester United obviously have been battered everywhere they go. And they're going to soon take on that chant uh, as well as Spurs did, of course, but probably a lot more accurately than maybe Spurs did, especially last season. Um, Eric Ten Hag is a manager who achieved uh, a lot at Ajax, you know, another school of, of Guardiola too, as well. Um, I have been very critical, <laughs> it's probably fair to say, of kind of his start to life at Manchester United. And for those that don't know, obviously because you won't know, behind the scenes, me and Soph obviously don't necessarily see eye to eye on on the topic of Ten Hag. For me, I don't necessarily think he's achieved anything at all. You know, during the time he started at United to now, I don't think anything has changed. Nothing has changed at all for me, mm-hmm. and I feel that Arteta, in the same period of time, let's say from Eric Ten Hag taking over now, which is the course of, what, three months or so, I think achieved more. Yes, at Ten Hag has only had two league games to show that, but I still think across a pre-season he could have changed more than the evidence is suggesting to me right now. But tell me where your head's kind of at with this.
1: I think that he's inherited a far bigger mess than Arteta did at Arsenal. And I think the magnifying glass is far greater because it's Manchester United, the mm. most decorated team in English football history. And alongside... Maybe not these days, Barcelona, but Real Madrid, um, mm. Bayern Munich—you know, biggest clubs in in the world—and I think it's really unfair to paint that brush just yet. And here's why: we did a show a few months ago, and you very smartly educated me and said to me, and I, you, I've I've quoted you on mm. Sky and TalkSport, dangerous, because <laughs> <laughs> because what you said I'm seeing and is bang on. You mm. you said that. Ten Hag has been used to a system, a strategy, an arc, a foundation, a rhythm. Mm. And he has been very fortunate to have this Ajax machine around him where he shows up every day and all he has to do is focus on the football because everything else from the Mark Overmars days to whenever, the Youth Academy, all of it is just well-oiled. I don't think he realized just how big this mess was when he took the job. And mm. you said to me that going into United, he won't be able to operate in the same way. And that was, you know, um, that was something you looked at in your crystal football and it's correct. Mm. He's gone in there and it's a total mess. Yeah,
0: he's having to it. deal
1: with the press <laughs> and he's having to deal with, you know, what's happening at the top, the, the problems with the players. And also the players they have, we had pro- problematic players but they weren't as expensive and they weren't as like, you know, what's happened to Bruno? What's, what, I mean, what's happening with he Sancho? He was dipping this?
0: before he even took over yeah, as well. Yeah, though, but yeah, but all these yeah.
1: players though, I mean, they had better talent pool than us. So I think mm. he's in a whole lot of trouble. And I think you were really observant to say what you did because we're seeing it now. He's having to deal with things he's never had to deal with before in his career. And that is going to affect how he manages the team. And I think mm. it's really unfair to suggest that, you know, he started off badly. I see what you're saying, but Mm. Arteta also, I think, took him a long time to evolve the team in my eyes. You know, we may differ on that.
0: I think from my perspective, like, uh, and whilst I think some of the Arteta jokes are obviously tongue-in-cheek, but the... The Ten Hag criticism for me, it, it just boils down to I think he's nothing, nothing at all has, has changed, you know, and I mm. think that that for me can be rectified over the course of a season. And I might be talking in six months' time and saying, "Wow, look, he's managed to change things." It's taken longer than I thought it would, but he's managed to change some things. My my criticism of him right now is that the mistakes are being made in terms of team selection, like saying you bring a in and you're starting Luke Shaw in the first two games after he's had an absolute nightmare. That's Yeah, absolutely. That's on him. Um, In terms of when Arteta came in mid-season, the biggest problem he had when he took over was a fractured dressing room. And I think he addressed that almost immediately. Yes, there were still problems in terms of individuals, but I think he got the collective together, together pretty quickly. And we saw an upturn that obviously led to a win against, ironically, Man United at home, you know, against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the second half of that season. So... I th- I think mm-hmm. for me, that's that's what I have. of The criticism just personally for me on Ten Hag right now is that he hasn't changed a thing for me. And that's that, what? I think, is a worthy criticism.
1: Rebecca, Rebecca Lowe, the host of NBC, said mm-hmm. the same thing yesterday Um, where she stopped and had a think about the game. She goes, you know what? I, I don't see anything that he's changed or done. We talked to Flex on our show with Super Kev last Monday. And Tom, what he said, he said, I've started to grow some respect for Arteta. Look how he handled Aubameyang. I wish Ten Hag maybe had the bravery to do that with Ronaldo. Yeah, absolutely. Something is missing in the sense that, once again, have they brought in a manager that hasn't really been given the power and the tools to make those changes? Has he been told from the top, you're not touching this guy. Look at these numbers. This is the revenue he brings in. I think that is a battle for him that he may or may not win. And he could end up walking away from this whole situation mm-hmm. if he wants to save his reputation, should it come to something like that.
0: Something we saw at Ajax, of course, and he, it would be unfair to give him all credit for this, but, you know, the Ajax recruitment is exceptionally good. You know, mm-hmm. they find such good young talent, they develop them, they sell them on it. It's a, it's a machine as what Ajax is, or is, as I described it before, you know. And I'm shocked to see them linked with some of the players they're linked to. Adrian Rabio, Marco Arnautovic. And I'm thinking... If Eric Ten Hag was was at the Ajax and seeing kind of, you know, that these kind of contextually, you're not going to see Rabiot and Arnatovich linked to Ajax. But, you know, a player that he, they did sign under him was Sebastian Haller, you know, a player that they recognised scoring plenty of goals, didn't really work out of West Ham, but they brought him to Ajax and, my God, did he, you know, absolutely go off. And, by the way, we wish him the absolute best as he goes through the turmoil that he's going through at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um that's something else, just to kind of, and I'm conscious of the times, I know people want to go and watch Chelsea Spurs. Um, What I can't get around the recruitment. I I get Martinez, you know, they're being linked to Gakpo as well. Safe bets, Eredivisie bets, because that's what he's used to. But yeah, the the Rabiot-Oanatovic stories, they worry me from his perspective.
1: No one wants to go there, Tom. Mm, Who would want to go play for Manchester United right now when you can go to Man City or Liverpool? Why did Martinez Darwin. choose them
0: over us? What was he I thinking?
1: Mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at it, it goes back to look, like, you know, Haaland was always going to go to City, right? But a play like Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunes, look at these players, oh, Gabriel Jesus. Mm. I mean, you know, maybe he wouldn't cross the lines like that, but we've seen that happen before. Um, they just can't, they don't have the pizzazz to recruit. They're not the same Manchester United. And they're going through what we did. Who could we attract? Look at the players we signed when we were at death's door on our knees. Mm-hmm. So they've got a real image issue right now, as well as an on the pitch issue. Because players are going there thinking, what's the path? What does that mean for me? And I do think like maybe the Anatovic or one of those two is a leaked thing to see what how fans would bite maybe. I just mm-hmm. don't believe for a second that Ten Hag wants to sign Anatovic. There's no way.
0: What about Rabiot? Do you think that's a Ten Hag signing? Because I hope it's not, for United's fans' sakes. I mean,
1: they're, they're inviting another hot mess. Can you imagine yeah. him and Bruno in the same dressing room? Dear God. And his mum. His mum. Oh, yeah. like, yeah. The stories around her. <laughs> never nightmare. thought I'd get to use those words on this show. His mum.
0: <laughs> you know, honestly. Um... I, that is, yeah, how you can throw fuel on the fire. Because that, that is the definition of signing Rabiot into United right now. If he comes good, then you got to say fair play Ten Hag on that. But I just can't see that working out. You know, I really can't. And, and I that agree just shows you.
1: you they have a systematic problem, right?
0: Absolutely. They, and I mean, United fans celebrated like they won the league when Ed Woodward left. Like, because they thought that was the key issue. And I think that most of them missed it. I've watched some crazy videos of United fans calling out their own fans for going to games. Like... Don't point the finger at your fans. I've always said this, you know, and especially with Arsenal fans as well. If you want to go to the game and spend your money, go and do that. If you want to buy merchandise, go and do that. That's your choice. You have the choice to go and do that because you support the club how you want. And it bugs me because I've done it in the past. So I can look back on it as an error that I myself have made that when people criticise other fans for going to games, just going and supporting their team, some of those United fans travel the way down to London to watch their team get battered by Brentford and you're criticising them as the issue. No, I'm sorry. I just can't get behind that. That's a joke.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Rebecca was also saying, she goes, he was almost best coming out and saying, look, um, don't expect us to get a lot of great results this season. I'm going to play a lot of the younger players. This is how it's going to be. And then the expectation level goes down and then he doesn't have to deal with the mess Mm. because it's amazing the carbon copy of where they're at. Remember our conversations about maybe Arteta should just play the kids. Why does he keep playing uh, Willian? Why does he keep you know shoehorning in Bellerin? Why, why, why? I'd rather him give some of the younger players a chance. And it's not as easy as that, but... Maybe that's a route that he should take. This Zidane kid. Why not throw him into the midfield? What do you have to lose at this point to yeah. throw him in there for a game?
0: I just think that I just think the way they've approached this window for the for what they want to do with an overhaul, it does strike me a little bit of some of the mistakes that Arsenal made with you know the Willians mm-hmm. at this world at the start. So okay. the, the, he, can't, the diff- he can't even sign
1: his own ex-player.
0: Oh, no, I know. Yeah, like like the amount of Ajax players that have turned around and gone no, no I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to go to United because it is a cesspool yeah. of a football club right now. So, you know, they were the only reason they got Martinez. I genuinely believe the only reason they got Martinez is because Arsenal weren't willing to go to the price that the Ajax wanted. And if if Arsenal and United have both agreed fees with Ajax I believe that Martinez would have chosen to come to Arsenal. It is Mm -hmm. just because Arsenal weren't willing to go to that level of money. But, you know, from my understanding, the conversations that Arsenal had with Martinez, he was very, very... Receptive around the ideas of Arteta and what he had seen for him in that left-back position, which I think you can now see with the way Zinchenko's playing, would have suited him a lot better than playing a left-centre-back role in an awful United team that can't defend at all. <laughs> like, yeah, scary seeing him play at centre-back, you know, up against some of the teams that we're seeing in the Premier League at the moment. Anyway, uh, I know people are very, very conscious to go and watch uh, Chelsea, hopefully, and I rarely say this, uh, but win against Spurs. <laughs> uh, we obviously want Spurs to lose this. I don't... None of this... A draw suits us, but I don't care. Spurs losing is the primary. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Always appreciate it. Tell people they can find you and what you're going to be up to.
1: Yeah. At Highbury squad. Um, we're back tomorrow, with Man- Monday madness, super Kevin, Jordan, Jarrett, Bryan. Um, he said we were going too hot on Zinchenko. So tune into that tomorrow because <laughs> I don't think I went in too hot enough. Uh, things oh, we're overrating we'll pass, him a bit too quickly, so it was me and you, Soph.
0: We were the ones that were going Zinchenko. <laughs> Actually, we were blo- we were banging that drum.
1: Thanks for having me, and keep up the great work. And congrats on um, your verified status and reaching <laughs> thirty-seven. Uh, keep smashing it.
0: Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Of course, if you're not subscribed to the Hybrid Squad, you can click the link in today's video title. It will take you straight there and all that. So all you need to do is to click that subscribe button and you can join the Hybrid Squad family because it's definitely worth being a part of. Um, Thank you for listening. I'll see you a little bit later on this evening over on LJTV with Dan. to have a really interesting discussion more about what happened in yesterday's game and maybe what we might see towards the end of the transfer window. Fingers crossed Chelsea win. If you're watching this on playback and you've already seen the win, great. Otherwise, I don't need to know the scoreline because I would have already been crying over it. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute.